Morning. Sorry, we're running a little late today. I had to get the coffee going. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> I'm gonna have a sip of my coffee now, first sip of the day. <laughs> uh, good to see everybody. Um, yeah, excited for the call. Got some topics for today. Um, see if Sarah pops on here in a few. Um, but maybe we'll, uh, yeah, maybe we'll start with, uh, what was Kylie on? She, I think everybody's running late today. And it's From just one days. of those yeah. days. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about long runs for, um, for a few minutes. And then when Kylie gets on, we can kind of segue over to talking about the fueling uh side of things how does that sound sounds good everybody um cool so yeah um gosh zoe you were the one that kind of <laughs> put the ball in your court for a second you were the one that kind of mentioned um feeling like we should we haven't done a call on long runs in a while i thought it would be good to talk about the difference between purely easy runs and easy moderate runs and why each has a specific benefit and purpose that's awesome yeah um so like long run variations yeah from just like the easy long run sure yeah yeah i like that um i know like for a lot of athletes especially more of our like beginner and intermediate athletes, the, uh, the long run is like, it's pretty cut, like cut and dry, right? Like we're trying to finish feeling good. We're sticking to like a purely easy pace that we can like hopefully sustain for the entire run. And for a lot of people, like the long run can be, um, really challenging because it's almost like especially in a build because it's sometimes it's the longest run an athlete's ever done yeah um and kind of when you've kind of passed that like intermediary like stage that intermediate stage of training um yeah there's like these other variations and aspects of long runs that we all can get into and kind of like spice things up um and what zoe mentioned was uh like the easy moderate um, I call that like the steady Freddy long run, um, where we're looking to, yeah, just kind of sustain a, a little bit higher, um, higher output than purely level. easy output. Yeah. Like a step or two faster, um, still aerobic threshold and below. We want to be getting those aerobic benefits. Still super far away from a tempo, not even close effort wise. Yeah. Um, just looking out at the call here, like. You know, I see some athletes who've been with us a while on, um, you know, Zena's on the call and uh, Robbie and, and Chelsea and, um, you know, obviously Kristen, um, she's probably done plenty of long run variations. Um, yeah, so you want to explain kind of like the first iteration of that long run variation, the easy moderate run, like why it'd be important for an athlete to do that? Yeah, the easy moderate run helps you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's going to sound self-explanatory, but it helps you get a little bit more comfortable running faster than purely easy. So it's not quite a race simulation. Um, I mean, it's definitely not a race simulation. It's not a tempo. Again, it's like, it could even be more controlled than a pure steady state run. 
but it helps to build your endurance. Another thing that it really helps with, particularly for athletes that are running, doing long runs on trails, is it helps us avoid the, the slog or the, the, the picnic run, which is when you're like just kind of out there for hours and hours and snacking and walking around. Um, it helps us keep a more mindful effort. It helps us kind of keep the momentum going in a way that facilitates building fitness a little bit better than a purely easy run might. And it's going to be more beneficial for athletes who like, it's not something I would ever recommend for athletes that are coming back from injury because you are, you know, getting outside of that purely easy place. Um, and it's, it's something that like, you really want to respond to how you're feeling on a given day, right? Like if you wake up and you're feeling tired or you're feeling bonky, or you haven't fueled correctly, we're keeping the run purely easy. We're never forcing, forcing the moderate portion of that run. We're not overthinking it. We're just saying like, Hey, today I'm not feeling hundred percent. I'm going to keep this run purely easy and just keep cruising out here. But on days where you do feel good, you can pick it up a little bit, particularly on the back half of your run and start to get closer to that kind of steady state effort level. Um, again, this is sub threshold, so it's easier than a tempo, um, but you, you'd still be able to talk. It just isn't purely conversational at that point. Yeah, it would be two sentences conversational would kind of be the benchmark for an easy moderate effort. Um, and I do want to... Yeah, just clarify something, you know, when, when we're talking about easy, moderate runs, we're talking about that two sentence conversational kind of feel, um, it's aerobic threshold and below. Um, when I interpret moderate running, um, I kind of think about that as a step above that. Um, that's where we get into that tempo effort and then we get closer to lactic threshold and things like that. So we really need to be careful about not overcooking um, like Zoe mentioned, not overcooking that effort. So a great guide is, can you speak in two sentences conversational? Um, that guarantees that you still get the important adaptations um, from aerobic, kind of aerobic base building and training, uh, particularly like angiogenesis, which is like the main thing that we're going for there that also slow twitch muscle fiber development as well. So it's super, super important to make sure you're not overcooking those. Um, and Zoe also mentioned that I think is really important to highlight is the fact that um, I think these, these runs, at least for me as an athlete, um, kind of like go by feel sort of efforts. Um, and so what I mean by that is like always listen to your body. When we're running faster, especially for longer, it's a lot more impact forces. So if you have, if you're prescribed an easy, moderate long run, um, but you're not feeling that great, that would be an indication that maybe you stick to more of an easier effort. You know, you don't necessarily need those extra impact forces or to step it up. Um, if you're not like having your, your best training week or, you know, you're not feeling your best. Um, I think, you know, kind of like easy, moderate is usually in quotations. So a way that I prescribe this to athletes um, that I find really effective is that I'll have athletes start the first half of their long runs easy and then progress in the second half to easy, moderate if they're feeling good. Um, I find that that progression is helpful um, for a few reasons. One, uh, we really want to start our long runs out the first 30 minutes to like one hour, generally pretty relaxed. Um, 
that's very important for the metabolism. It's just very important to ease into these efforts in order to uh, kind of give ourselves the best chance to finish the long run feeling good. Um, and so when we kind of do that progression run, we can kind of, we can finish those runs on a high note if we're feeling good. So I think that that's, um, that's a way that I like to prescribe those efforts. And that's actually how I do it in my own training. Um, and there are other benefits, I think specifically for like performance benefits of why we might do an easy, uh, moderate run. It's a little closer to race pace for, a lot of stronger athletes. Um, and so sim simulating that can be really helpful. That way, when you get out, get onto the start line, um, it's like not the first time you are trying to sustain a, a more intense effort for a longer period. We want to practice these things before we actually do them in competition. Uh, and so this is one of the ways to do that. And one of the things that we've talked about and we feel is very effective for athletes is that kind of progression, especially in races. Um, so the more that you practice that in your own training and listen to that and try to, um, yeah, make that kind of second nature, the easier it's going to be on race day to like hold back at, in the first 30 minutes to one hour when everyone else is hammering and then you can pass them all later, um, which is a really great tactic. At least I love that tactic. Um, and I'm looking at a few athletes here who have done that really well over the past year. Maybe, you know, another variation worth getting into is mixing tempos into long runs. We're big fans of putting a tempo in the long run. I think when you look at a lot, how maybe people with less experience train for ultras, you'll see a lot of folks doing really, really long runs, really going for volume and time on feet. And we're not about that. <laughs> we're busy people. We don't have all the time in the world to spend on feet. We're all about training um, smarter and not just harder all the time. Um, how do you go about before we get into the adaptation benefits of mixing a training into a tempo, like just give us the nuts and bolts. Like how long do you need to warm up for? How do you like do a tempo in the middle of a long run? How, what kind of effort level are you aiming for? I think it depends again, like with the athletes that I coach, there's a couple of different ways that I prescribe it. One is like the classic uh, tempo in the middle of the long run. Um, Do they have to be in the exact middle? Should I obsess? No, about no, but like around the middle, you know, so you've given yourself some time to like warm up and get into the run. Um, you know, for like, especially for me, I've been running like some higher volume weeks than, um, than this time of the year, like normally for me. And so like, I need that extra warm up time, um, on a long run to like, really feel like I'm clicking and things are like, you've taken of, the like gel. yeah, like, you know, you've kind of gotten into the flow and then you're ready to like pick it up. So I like that middle of the long run tempo. Um, I think that that's really effective. Um, the other one that I like, um, well, there's kind of, I kind of have two variations for my athletes. The other one would be like doing it in the first half of the run. Um, I like this one where you, you know, you kind of get like a mile or two under your belt, um, you know, 15 minutes or so of running, and then you fire the tempo. Um, I think that can really help set the stage for a faster overall long mm -hmm. run. It tends um, that I see and for myself as well that when we do the tempo, it almost like that faster running, it really starts to, um, yeah, like it, it starts to trigger something neuromuscularly in your yeah. brain and it helps you to run 
a little bit faster um, through the duration. And I think there are two things going on there. A, like you said, it's that neuromuscular thing. So that's another, I would say, if you're feeling really sluggish when you start out on runs, really make sure you're doing a warm up that helps reactivate those neuromuscular pathways before you go out on a run. So like really mimicking the um, biomechanical patterns of running in your, in your warm up. I like to do like skips, hops. I like to really break down my stride and get all those pieces firing differently before I string them together in a run. Um, but yeah, whenever like people notice it all the time, like after I did my strides or after I did my tempo, I felt a lot faster. Sometimes if you're feeling sluggish, you can mix in a slight surge. If you're feeling good, just something to re incentivize that turnover. Secondarily, something like a tempo is really going to recalibrate your perception of effort level as well, which can be good and it can be bad. You just have to really be honest with yourself and make sure you're not like, Oh, well, I just went hard. I'm going to keep going hard. Um, and you just have to be really honest with yourself. Like, okay, does this still feel easy? If so, then great. We're going to, we're going to write it out. You'll know. Cause you're out there for, you know, usually a bit, this is in like the context of 14, 16, maybe 18. And for really strong athletes, 20 milers. I count any run over 90 minutes, a long run. Yeah. I, I like that definition. And that's, that's mine as well. Um, Although I remember reading, I think it was in Jack Daniels marathon training book. He was like, a long run is anything over two hours or 20 miles, whichever comes first. I'm like, uh, (laughs) there's like 10 people who are hitting 20 miles in that time. Like what? A two hour, 20 mile, two hour, 20 miler, (laughs) not relevant to me. That's awesome. And he just like kind of threw that out there in his training book I've never as if that was like a very universally applicable yeah. thing. I was like, yeah, oh, Jack. it's really not landing for me, Jack, whichever comes first, <laughs> it's going to be the two hours. Spoiler alert. Yeah. 90 minutes or more. Um, and, and the reason for that is it's metabolic. Um, and we'll get into that in a minute with Kylie. Um, who was going to talk a little bit about um, using those long runs as an opportunity to work on, your fueling on before races and to get ahead of this kind of stuff. So that way on race day, you're prepared. I do want to mention, um, you'll know if you're overcooking that tempo. And when we talk about like moderately hard, we're thinking about a one hour effort. You know, what's the fastest you can go for one hour? Um, I tend to run those maybe a step or two slower. It's really up to athlete preference, Um, again, you know, you got to listen to your bodies. If you're feeling really good, it's great to step that up and like seek that like higher, uh, boundary of what feels sustainable for an hour. But if you're not feeling your best, um, again, like it's okay to keep that more on a moderate, like a purely moderate side. Um, you know, this should be associated with some like pretty, steady breathing. Um, you know, maybe you're speaking one sentence out loud. Um, you're not down to single words yet. That would be, that, that would be too hard of an effort. You should be able to say, Oh boy, this hurts. Yeah. Like one sentence is good. Um, I like to think seven out of 10 effort comfortably hard, but hardly comfortable. You should want to stop, but you absolutely don't have to stop. (laughs) Yeah. Seven seven to eight, seven to eight with I think seven being that safe yeah. bet. And then like you're going faster than half marathon effort, slower than 10K. So kind of in between that 40 minute and that 120 minute 
ish mark. Yeah. I don't want to make this too nuanced because I think that um, those ranges become more apparent the longer athletes have been training. Yeah, absolutely. And at first it's, uh, there's a little bit of gray area between, I think some of those, those. Totally. Yeah. And the fitter you get, the more, like I always, I think the way I described it to my coach was like, when I first started training with him, I felt like I had two crayons in my crayon box. I had like hard and then I had easy. And then the more you train, you get like all sorts of different gradations in between. And the fitter you get, the more you're able to understand like, oh yeah, this is my 5k effort or like, oh yeah, this is getting closer to my 3k effort or this is my one mile effort. Um, Whereas like frequently when we first start working with people, particularly on things like strides or hill strides, they'll be like, well, I hit my marathon effort for 20 seconds. And we're like, oh boy, (laughs) we've got some, uh, we've got some economy to explore and some aerobic adaptations adaptations to invest in but that's cool that's what this is all about again we've been there we made fun of it because i remember myself when i was there oh not too long ago not really not that long ago (laughs) yeah um anyways so zoe also mentioned the importance of kind of that perceived effort on difference that you can feel when you're doing a moderately hard or one hour effort tempo in a long run it makes your easy effort feel a lot more sustainable it kind of puts things in context um again it's it's fairly normal if you're doing a tempo in like the first part of your run the middle um to speed up after that and that would be a good sign that you are running your tempo at the proper effort level um, if you're yeah. really cooking that tempo, if and, the bottom falls out after yeah. the tempo, you overcooked it. And and so, you know, we want to learn from that experience and try to refine that effort. Medium um, rare. Yeah. Tempo. Uh, the reason why we add tempos into the long run is because we already have a highly stressful training day. Um, and so that stress concentration can kind of elevate the processes of adaptation, help to elicit more adaptation, um, particularly important for athletes who are, um, you know, running longer ultras. There's also a strong benefit to um, going out there, adding in that intensity, maybe doing that, that tempo uphill to kind of simulate a race effort, um, and then kind of forcing the athlete to be able to recover and still run strong through the duration of the rest of their miles. Big benefits there. Um, and not just, you know, physiologically, also I think mentally, um, you know, just being able to see like, oh yeah, like I, I, I prefer to do my tempos uphill because my uphill running, it feels like a weakness. So I like to focus on that. And then I love the feeling of knowing that I, I've recovered and I can still run the rest of the long run strong. That gives me like a strong mental and emotional boost. And then I can draw on that later um, in training or in, when I'm racing. Um, the other thing that sometimes athletes do, and it's not just a tempo effort during a long run, but we do faster intervals, maybe at 10K effort. Um, and I also really like that. Um, for my athletes who are doing speed builds gives us another opportunity to work in a, a shorter workout during the week to really boost um, kind of the adaptations that are associated with economy. So the faster, more intense running is going to help us develop a faster, easy effort in the long run. Um, and so, you know, usually once per build, I'll do a double workout in the week. So it'd be a Wednesday workout and then a long run with 
uh, some slightly longer intervals. And I root like for an advanced athlete, advanced intermediate. I, I really like that because it overall can like push up the, um, the average pace and outputs that that yeah. athlete puts out for the duration of a long run and can kind of just show an athlete like, Hey, look what you're capable of. Yeah. Like you've got more speed than you think. Um, yeah. And, so and you're, just, go ahead. yeah, you're capable of going long, strong, not just like spending time on feet, which yeah. is like a big thing. And when you look at like one of the biggest pivots that's happened, people are always like, what are the biggest changes that have happened in training? I'm like, well, you know, like methodology doesn't really get updated very, like it's a slow moving glacier. Um, but one of the bigger shifts you've seen in marathon and up training is a less of a focus on time on feet on slow miles, like the LSD run, the long, slow distance run, and a lot more focus on hitting, um, higher power outputs and sustaining those particularly during long runs and also limiting long runs throughout most of the year, right? Like, even though I'm mostly racing hundreds this season, um, I didn't, this winter, I didn't exceed 14 miles in a long run because we're not trying to like stack huge, huge, huge volume bricks. We're trying to stay healthy and incentivize good turnover and faster, lower output running. Yeah. And I think uh, as a coach, who's really interested in kind of the performance benefits of that and the mental side, um, I do feel the like mental side, are... it's great to not run 20 miles yeah. in a snowstorm for no reason. Exactly. Like, I feel like when you, when those long runs, are a little bit shorter but have a focus um athletes tend to finish feeling better and then overall the training is more sustainable when we get into that slogging territory um if if athletes are stacking too many of those sloggy long runs week after week um you know it really tells me something that yeah like one, if you practice going slow guess what come race day <laughs> well it's not just that i mean that's also problematic but i think more so that that can the be a tell, yeah, a telltale mm -hmm. sign that the training could be become unsustainable. Yeah. Um, just yeah. because when you finish not feeling good, it's less likely that you're going to want to get out there on the next one because you you remember you remember the long like this is ha happens to me even at a very advanced level of training. You know, when my long runs don't go that well, like last summer, my long my long runs were didn't weren't good. It was hot. I, I finished a lot of them feeling really bad. Um, and I remember that one the next weekend getting out on my long run and I kept trying to make adjustments to Be finish long run, feeling good and it's hard. Um, and so we really want to finish these efforts feeling good, which I think is a reason why I advocate for, especially when we get into that 18, 20 and then up, if I've got an athlete doing a hundred and we're doing like maybe a 25 mile long run, um, that big training week, couple of weeks out before the hundred, you know, that big focus on doing that first hour, really, really, really easy. Yeah. Um, like a couple of steps back from easy, you know, forever pace plus like, you know, maybe on a regular day, you're like, this is a recovery <laughs> effort, but today, like, this is how you're going to start out your long run. So you can ensure finishing feeling yeah. good. You can deal with those other environmental factors better. Um, you can also give your metabolism a chance to click in. Um, and all of that. So yeah, let's, um, let's just shift. Well, actually, I think we had one more question that someone, we did have an athlete wondering why we do a run after the long run. And I think that that is such a great question. Oh yeah. Do you like, want to, why do we stack those weekend bricks? Yeah. I love this well, Maybe we can pass this off to one of the other coaches. <sighs> They've been patiently it's listening true. to us blabber, uh, about long runs. Um, 
Yeah, Sarah or or Kristen, do you want to answer why we would do a, a run after the long run? The medium long run. The dessert yeah. long run. Yeah, Sarah, we can we can tag team this. I saw your mute button just went off. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, yeah, so I like to describe this as like as you're building up adaptations and on race day, you know, when like the fatigue sets in, you have to be, you have to get used to running on tired legs. That's just, you know, you just, you have to be good at that. Um, and so having back-to-back -back long runs, one being like the longest long run on Saturday, medium long run on Sunday, um, your, your body is adapting to like you're building fatigue resistance is like a better way to say it. Um, so you're just, it's, I think it's just as much mental as it is physical because, you know, when things get hard and you want to quit, like you're kind of trying not to talk yourself out of that, but you do it every weekend. So you, you can do it in your 50 K. <laughs> um, so yeah, Sarah, I'm interested to hear your, your thoughts as well. Yeah. I think that, you know, that piece very much just like the the fatigue practice and the tired legs. And I also, and anybody can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I also think it helps us, um, you know, we don't, we are able then to have that Saturday run be a little bit shorter and keep our mileage high for the week. So not putting, not overstressing the body on that Saturday run and having to do some huge Saturday run. And then, um, assuming Saturday is the long run, obviously. Um, and then also it like helps us from keeping too much importance on any given, on any single run by like putting the load throughout different days. Yeah, 100% correct. Both of you guys. Um, I think one, you know, Kristen mentions the fatigue resistance, um, building confidence, going the distance on tired legs, huge. And then that stress concentration and stress distribution that Sarah mentioned, um, something that like, I think good coaching can help facilitate is getting that overall like race volume done over a few days. So spreading that out, you know, running the, a marathon distance, but on Saturday plus Sunday or 50 K distance Saturday plus Sunday, um, can really, really help. Um, and let's use this as an opportunity to segue over to Kylie, because there are actually metabolic adaptations that are created, um, on that second run as a result of almost always running without your glycogen stores being fully replenished. Um, even when you try your hardest to eat really well after the long run, um, it is very difficult to fully replenish those stores. And so um, we can become more efficient um, as a result of running in that state. Um, again, we're not trying to do that. It's just kind of the natural byproduct of having done the long run make sure you eat enough. Um, I'll let Kylie kind of take, take it from there. Um, talking about that adaptation process and then, um, a bit about, yeah, just how to focus on fueling during these long runs so we can race better. Um, yeah, I don't know how like adaptation process wise, I guess I always joke that, um, if you want to become fat adapted, you know, you just do back to back long runs because it does <laughs> allow for, if we're not fully replacing glycogen stores um your body is becoming more efficient at using fat as a fuel source during activity um and then the other thing to think about is you're always using 
fat and carbohydrate during your um, training runs. So uh, you are effectively like training to become more fat adapted without actually like intentionally needing to go low carb, high fat. Um, so I just, <laughs> Wait, you know, you I wanted to point scam? that out. Um, but I do, I will say, you know, on top of what you were saying, TJ, I really do try to get athletes that I work with to get in the mindset of, I am trying to fuel for this day. Um, because yeah, it, it's going to be really difficult to replace those glycogen stores, but, um, you know, the closer you can get the, the better chance you have to even, I would argue like prevent injury and then, um, be able to kind of at least feel semi-decent the next day. Um, so just saying, oh, well, I'm going to eat the way I normally do on a long run day. And then the next day I'm just going to try and survive, I think is not necessarily the best way to look at that. Let me um, stop you one second, Kylie, because I think this is really important for athletes to hear. Um, you have to fuel very intelligently and with a lot of focus after your long run before your, your quote unquote mid long run or Sunday long run, or even if you're not doing a super long run on Sunday, even if it's 90 minutes or more, your focus after your long run should be eating as basically as much as you can. Um, I know that for both Zoe and I, the more we focus on that, the better our Sunday runs feel. If you are lacking that focus, you know, you heard Kylie say it, your risk for injury goes up tremendously. And also like the possibility of that Sunday long run, just feeling like crap goes up a lot too. Um, and so if you're not doing that with focus, you're, you're missing a step, um, which is really important. Yeah. And I would love to know what you think about this, Kylie, but I think an ath- a mistake I see a lot of athletes make is they'll, and like, I've done it myself, um, not above it. I'll start my, particularly in the winter, I'll start the long run a little bit later. And then I'll in like around lunchtime and I'll run through what normal humans would consider lunchtime. How do you make up for those calories missed? Yeah. So this is kind of where, um, figuring out sometimes getting like a general idea of what your needs are on those kinds of days can be helpful. Um, or chatting on strategies of how to, how to kind of make up for something like that is, is good. Um, cause I typically recommend figuring out like, would a high calorie, I always bring this up, but it does work a high calorie smoothie option post long run or post training session be a good option. And when I'm talking high calorie, I'm talking like five to 700 calories to give people context. Um, so, you know, you're loading in like nut butter, avocado, like oil. I know it sounds weird, but oil is another way to get in calories without, um, you know, bulking up the volume too much. And then sipping on that immediately. And then also having another meal, like in two to three hours and then having dinner, you know? So it's like actually kind of, um, in a way making up for that. However, it still probably won't make up for the whole thing. Um, I think the thing to keep in mind that we're going after too, is like, you can get yourself, if you're not intentional, you can get yourself in such a big hole that then it affects your half your training week, the next week. And, um, 
you know, this week, I feel like I ran into that a little bit. Like I had really long runs last weekend and like, wasn't feeling great at the beginning of the week. And then started to feel better as the week went on. I'm like, pretty sure I didn't feel quite enough. And so, um, it's just, it, it can be hard to, to do that. I was, you know, I work with triathletes that are burning, that are trying to make up, you know, eat 5,000 calories in a day. And that's something that, you know, you can't just like guess and be like, oh yeah, my normal, like two waffles and my sandwich and my regular dinner is going to be enough. You know, 5,000 calories is a lot of, a lot of nutrition. And same thing if you're doing like a long race or a long race, a long run. And then the next day you're doing a medium long run. It's just like all adds up. And so the hole that you create can be really difficult to climb out of, um, without some intentionality. Um, so I suggest that athletes, um, even get like, they might even want to outline. Like if I am, if I have a four hour run on a Saturday, you know, what does that look like fueling wise? Um, so lay out like, what would my pre-run breakfast thing be? Um, hint a 200 calorie snack is not going to be enough for a four before a four hour run. Um, and then afterwards, you know, you would lay out, maybe I have a high calorie smoothie. Then I've got another meal, small snack, dinner, pre-bedtime snack, and just like lay that kind of thing out. And then you can at least keep yourself accountable for, um, have like checking off, um, some of those things. Um, and then the same thing for the next day too, if you're doing a medium long run, it's not like, oh, that's easy. Uh, you still have to fuel intentionally on that day too. Um, and this is oftentimes why people will be like, well, I was really hungry on my rest day. And like, cause I, oftentimes people have a rest day after those two runs and, and they're like, should I restrict food? I'm like, no, because you probably didn't eat enough on the two, the two days that you, uh, did a bunch of training. So um, that's something that you just want to be aware of, like, listen to your body too. Like it, it will, it can be hard to tell you things on long training days because your appetite, um, can get suppressed. Um, but you know, in t- that's where that intentionality can help as well. And then on the rest day, you know, uh, listening to your body to try and, to try and fuel yourself well. Um, and then the other point I want to make is being intentional with hydration. I think it's a, um, spot where athletes are really missing out, um, on trying to maximize performance. So, um, after you're done with a long run, uh, you should be going directly for fluids and electrolytes. Um, the electrolyte piece is really going to help you with proper, like it maximizes, um, hydration potential in the body. Um, so I suggest like just keeping something in your car, or keeping a bottle out with electrolytes. So when you're done, you, that's like what you go for. Um, and it, it can take like hours to kind of help rehydrate the body. Um, and I don't think people realize that, um, you know, uh, if you are dehydrated, it is going to affect your, your performance ability. Um, and it does that increases injury risk as well. Um, And then, so say you do a long run, you don't hydrate properly. And then you go into the next day dehydrated. That's not a, that is not a great thing. So, um, so thinking about both the calorie, um, energy consumption, and then the, the fluid electrolyte piece is important. And it's, 
and both of them, you know, don't leave one versus the other out, I guess. Um, so that's kind of like the fueling on the day. And then I think we were going to go into like trialing different fueling options and building a fueling plan during your long run. Um, before I go into, oh, okay. I was going to answer that question, but, <laughs> but yes, if you are using an electrolyte drink on your run, you should be doing one after. So one of the things that I like to explain to athletes is that typically when you're, you know, that 250 to 500 milligram sodium replacement per hour recommendation, um, is only giving you, um, for the average person, about 75% of your, um, replenishment of your sodium losses. So when you get, and it's, and then we're focusing on sodium too. And some of those electrolyte hydration mixes don't have a lot of like magnesium and other potassium and other electrolytes mm -hmm. in them. So, you know, an option that you might want to consider afterwards is doing something like, like liquid IV has a more like varied, um, profile of electrolytes. I think noon does as well, but, um, consideration of like using something like that post-exercise so you can fully replenish. Um, and then remembering that our body does, um, store sodium as well. Uh, so, um, if you are exercising, you're utilizing those sodium stores and those are being emptied. Um, so you really want to go back and kind of replace those. Um, so body more effectively hydrates. If you use an electrolyte supplement, so using one post-exercise, like a long run or medium long run is important. And then yes, you're not typically unless, I mean, I've run into some athletes that have a super low sodium sweat concentration. Um, and somebody this morning sent me their sweat test results and they're only losing 250 milligrams of sodium per hour. So if you, you don't want to overdo it either, I do want to make that clear. Most people are not at that low level. Typically they're at like a thousand milligrams. That's the average person's about a thousand milligrams per hour loss of sodium. Um, and so, um, you know, if you have questions about that, you can always ask me, or if you are somebody that might have a more complex or puzzling, um, like sweat issue, like sweat rate or sodium sweat concentration issue, you might get, if you've dialed in or think you've dialed in like your fluid electrolyte and calorie consumption, you're still having some stomach issues, et cetera then you might want to consider getting a sweat test from, um, precision hydration or, um, the level in, uh, at home sweat tests, uh, the patches you can put on. And there's a question about Gatorade sweat patches. Um, so at this time, like, I don't feel confident recommending them. They are a cheaper option, but I've had a lot of colleagues have, um, not very much success with their own athletes. And then when they tested them themselves, they did not stick very well. So I'm concerned about the accuracy of the Gatorade sweat patch right now. I think if they can make it a little bit aff more affordable, that would end actually effective, then that would be ideal for the, the population. Cause if we're looking at, um, the cost of a level in test, it's like between 120 and $180 for those at those two at home ones. 
or the precision hydration is with is an in-person one, which um, it is about the same. However, I will, I do like to point this out that, and I, I learned this recently actually, um, that your um, sodium sweat concentration is actually pretty genetic and um, doesn't change that much. So if you get it done it's and you get it done once, you don't have to really get it done again. The thing that does change is your fluid output. Um, so your actual like sweat loss. And so then that can cause you to lose more sodium if you're losing more sweat. Um, so that changes and you can actually do like a basic, um, you know, sweat test at home where you like weigh yourself before, if you don't like scales, then don't do this, but <laughs> you weigh yourself before your hour long run. And then you weigh yourself after your hour long run and see how much, um, you've lost there. Um, and you do that three times in similar weather conditions. And then you take the average of those three. Um, and then you convert that to ounces, the pounds, the ounces, and then that gives you your, a generalized sweat loss rate. And then you want to go for, you want to try to replace 75% of your sweat losses per hour. And so that can change in different weather conditions though. So if it's cooler out, you want to do that same process again, but the actual sodium sweat concentration loss doesn't change that much. So, um, it's kind of interesting. Um, uh, like what, what about um, just the adaptation prop? Like as we become more acclimated to running in hotter conditions, um, are any of these kind of like physiological changes going to affect our, our sweat rate? Um, so actually you sweat like sodium more. Loss? As you sweat more, the fitter, fitter you get. Um, so that's a kind of a misconception that you would maybe get more efficient, um, but you actually end up sweating more, um, the fitter you get. So, so um, you know, your, your sweater. perception, your perception of like heat, you adapt to a, being able to kind of like handle that heat. Um, and then you become more like effective at cooling yourself with the sweating that's occurring, I guess, um, is what we could say. Um, I don't know if that answers what you're trying to uh, it, it, it does. And I think that's really important. And it's something that I notice in myself. I tend to, to sweat a lot. Um, no matter what the temperature is, <laughs> I'll sweat like really quickly into a run. I'll start sweating. Um, and knowing that that's kind of like a, a physiological, mm -hmm. uh, adaptation, I consider it like maladaptation. It's like, I don't want to lose all of this um, all this fluid and then have to replace it. What a pain in the neck. Um, <laughs> I'd rather just have a heat stroke. <laughs> I'd rather just but you, uh, inside. Um, so that's so a I good don't example have to carry of any like, water with me. <laughs> that's a good example of why you would want to do, if you did do a fluid loss, um, test, you would want, as you become fitter, you would want to do another like set of that, you know? Like an early um, season and then later season. Right. Yes, exactly. The average should shift noticeably. Right, exactly. And I think yep. that's really interesting, um, especially for athletes now, because we're coming off of, and so many of our athletes are in areas where it's cold during the winter, um, you know, in the thirties. And now we're getting that like real feel runs and it's like in the fifties. Um, and then, you know, you go down to the desert, you know, like we will this weekend to like actually run on trail and then it's 70 
And so you're like adapted to running in the 30s, but you're running in, and it's 70 and that basically feels really, really hot. And Zoe um, and I died last weekend when that happened. Oh, dude. <laughs> it was so rough. <laughs> <laughs> when so you go from 30 to 80 that's kind of a big jump <laughs> that's a huge jump and like what do you recommend kylie like and if, forgive me if i didn't um capture the information correctly but what i'm hearing is that your your electrolyte kind of sodium the amount of sodium that you'd be losing when you sweat would be the same in either of so those it's based conditions on like a per unit loss. So like if you're like it'll say on if you get a sweat test done, I'll say like you lose, I don't know, 500 milligrams per liter. And then you have to look at what's my actual sweat um fluid loss per uh hour. And then you can kind of figure out, okay, how much sodium am I losing per hour? Does that make sense? Right. So if you're if you go from 30 degrees to 80 and all of a sudden you're losing an extra yeah. liter of fluid an hour because it's so hot and your body's working hard to keep you cool. You know, you need to be getting in even more electrolytes. Yeah, than exactly. Thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, the, if I didn't explain that well, but, but yeah. And then that, I mean, it's just, it's tough because, um, you're like, there are other things going on it nutrition wise, but might not say nutrition might not save you in those conditions. Um, Cause I feel like even last weekend, Zoe and I did a pretty good job of fueling and like taking in extra fluid and electrolyte, or at least I was, and I think Zoe was, but we were like, just that feeling of just being so drained and like really trying, like the effort was just harder than it should have been <laughs> in a way. So I think that, the, you know, you, you still have to adapt to running in those conditions. There's metabolic changes going on there, um, that I'm not hundred percent clear on all of those things going on, but, um, but yeah, like nutrition, you can do your best with the nutrition, but it still might feel really hard, I guess is the point. Um, when you first make that transition. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about like just the nutrition side um, kind of give us like the 101 on, you know, what we should be thinking about eating wise on our long runs and how we should, you know, for example, say I've got eight weeks until my 50 K it's my first ever ultra. How, you know, should I be lining up my, my fueling in for those eight long runs, uh, to prepare my, myself for race day? Yeah. So, and we've covered this on other calls as well, but I thought it would be a good reminder, especially for newer microcosm athletes um, to go over. And even those that aren't newer, just as a friendly reminder. Um, so I always like to say like, use your long run as your dress rehearsal day. Um, so really trying to dial in, like, what would I, your fueling plan should start with your pre um, long run meal. And I call it a meal because it should be as big as a meal. It should not be a banana and that's it. Um, so you want to think about um, what you potentially would be using on race day um, that you could start practicing with. Um, I recommend, um, depending on the distance of the, uh, the race um, that you're training for, and I recommend three to 500 calories on a run or race that would take you maybe 
up to three hours. And then anything more than three hours, you should be having at least five to 700 calories. And if that number is shocking to you, um, then you might have some work to do because um, that is, uh, you know, what I, what is typically recommended. Um, and you can do, if you're thinking, why well, can't eat that much, then you can do liquid options, um, in addition to some of your food sources, but this is where it's important to kind of like dial this in. Um, and then you also need to figure out your timing. Um, so if you are doing something a little bit bigger, then you really need to, you know, figure out how long do I need before my run, especially if it's something you're not used to. Um, you're going to want to do mostly carbohydrate, um, however, a little bit of protein and fat, um, like eight to 10 grams, uh, might be helpful, especially, um, to kind of keep you a little bit satiated and then keep your blood sugar from just like spiking and dropping quickly. Um, and then going back to that hydration piece. Um, so for, I'm, I'm, for a lot of people, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about like in the morning, we're doing a race or a long run, et cetera. Um, so th these guidelines might change if you are doing something at night, starting at night or later in the day. But when you get up in the morning, you're, you, if you think about it overnight, you are dehydrating. So if you don't have any kind of water or electrolyte with um, your coffee, then that's not going to be great either. Um, so really suggesting um, you know, a 16 to 20 ounce like glass or bottle of water that has some electrolyte in it before your long run, before your race. Um, and you can use your typical like hydration mix that you're planning on using during your event, or you can use something like a noon or liquid IV that doesn't have any carbs or calories in it. Um, so that's kind of piece one. And then piece two is the inter-workout piece or inter-long run piece. Um, so thinking about, you know, where am I going to get my calories from? Uh, where am I going to get my sodium? Because we do want to focus mainly on sodium because of its role in um, carbohydrate utilization in the body. Um, and it is lost in the highest amounts in sweat when we look at all the electrolytes. Um, and then our fluid um, amount or target as well. Um, and then the impo another important piece is how am I going to carry all of this? Um, so thinking about all those different things. And then when you're making your choices, you know, when I say, where am I, where are you going to get your calories from? So you can get calories from a hydration mix, like, you know, scratch labs or tailwind or something. Um, but if you're like, I get from athletes that they're like, I don't want to use a sweet hydration mix. It's just like, not for me. So I say, okay, well then you should at least use an electrolyte mix in your water. So you're getting your electrolytes, but then you're going to have to eat more. Um, and so consideration of like, do I want, you know, do I want to have that liquid hydration or liquid calorie option or not? Um, and then when we look at these, like there's generalized ranges that need to be personalized for each person, depending on what the terrain is like how long the race is what the climate's going to be like so like a two to three hundred calorie range is a starting place but everyone should actually have their own like target so if you're smaller framed um you might be able to be in the two to 250 per calorie per hour range um but um even then like if your race is longer 
you might want to push it a little bit higher than that. Or if the terrain is like pretty undulating and a lot of vert, then you might want to push it a little higher than 250. Um, and then weather too, like typically if it's hotter, you do want to try to push in a little bit more calories. Um, so, um, thinking about that range as a starting place, but then using that as a guide, cause like some of my larger framed athletes too, they're like going up to 350, 400 calories an hour. Um, so it's really yeah, Zoe, Zoe going up there. Um, so, so really thinking about like, how do I, how am I going to get those things in? And then, um, you can use a combination of, uh, either hydration mix, gels, chews, food options. Um, none is like better than the other. I, I was having this conversation. I had it on a podcast interview this week. And then also in my Instagram that like food, just because you eat like potatoes, doesn't mean that that's better than someone that eat, eats like a goo gel, um, or a sports nutrition product. Um, so there's a reason why those products are made and they are efficient at fueling people. Um, so there's no reason to be like, oh, I have to use, like, I only can use solid food. Um, unless you are somebody that can't tolerate gels or um, chews, et cetera. Um, so thinking about like, where am I gonna get my calories from? We want to get a minimum of 30 to 40 grams of carbohydrates per hour. Um, and then if you think about that, so 30 to 40 grams of carbs per hour is about uh, 160 calories. So if you're going for 300 calories, um, you might want to push higher than that. We can typically handle up to 90 grams of carbs an hour. Um, but I wouldn't recommend that for, I guess I should preface, I wouldn't recommend that maybe for like smaller framed females. <laughs> um, and then, um, if you're not used to that carbon take, do not jump up to 90 grams an hour. Um, but, uh, so you can make up that calorie difference with carbs or, um, in longer races, you can typically handle a little bit of protein and fat, um, because we are going at a slower pace and our blood is not being diverted away from the GI system quite as much. Um, so you can have a little bit more of those macronutrients mixed in to give you some more calories. Um, and then when we look, we talked a little bit about the sodium piece. Um, so the 250 to 500 milligrams an hour is a standardized like general recommendation. Again, if you have troubles, maybe you consider a sweat test. Um, I had a guy this week who is losing 3000 milligrams of sodium per hour typically. Um, so that's like significant outlier there, but he was having serious, like throwing up at 30 miles, every ultra marathon that he did. And this is like something that he has to figure out or he's not going to be able to get through, um, a race. Um, so, so there are like extreme cases like that. If you're somebody with something that is complex, then you definitely want to like take the time to explore all your options. Um, and then you can replace that sodium, like I said, with hydration mix, electrolyte, like in your water, there are, um, capsules choose and there's um, something called base performance salts which you can use too um with the capsules and chews, you just 
you need to be careful with those. You don't want to overdo it like all at once. You don't want to take like four capsules at one time. Um, and those things can be like a, like a lot of electrolyte coming in at once and the capsule itself can just be upsetting to the stomach. So you need to be careful with salt, salt capsules or electrolyte capsules. Um, the chews, unfortunately are like not very concentrated. So you have to eat like two chews is only hundred milligrams of sodium. I'm like, I could take a lick of salt and it would be more than that. Um, so it's really, unfortunately, those are not the most efficient way to get your electrolytes in. Um, and then the my favorite is the base performance salt. So it's like a little vial that has a whole um, mix of the electrolytes in it. Um, and it's a powder. And then you actually carry it in your pack and you lick your thumb and then put it over the top of the container. And then you lick your thumb again. Um, if you get like five licks, you get 350 milligrams of sodium on average. So it's like a really nice way to control the electrolyte consumption that you have. Or if you need like just a little bit extra, it's in my opinion, a little bit better option than just like taking in a capsule or something. Um, and then we talked about um, fluids. So you do want to kind of dial that in. I mean, you can do the at-home um, fluid loss test for yourself. Um, or you can start 16 to 20 ounces an hour is a, the general rec. Um, but you might be a little lower than that if it's cooler out. Um, if you're at higher elevation or it's hotter in race conditions, you do want to typically do on the higher end or a little bit more than 20 ounces an hour. So um, that's kind of a general general starting point. Um, and you've got to think about, okay, a lot of my athletes that I'm working with are like, Oh, I don't even, I don't even come close to drinking that. And I'm like, well, you've got to practice then. And that's where your long run, you got to practice intake of fluid intake of food, um, all that kind of stuff. Cause we do gain, um, gut adaptations to the things that we're using consistently. So once you dial something in and it's working, then you need to keep doing that on your long runs. So that's kind of why TJ was saying like leading up to an event, like you want to, you know, practice this. And so I usually say, give yourself two to three months to dial in a fueling plan and practice it. Um, and it will, the other point I want to make is it will change or it should change based on the race that you're doing. A fueling plan should never be stagnant, um, because conditions are typically going to vary. Now that doesn't mean you can't use the same products, However, you might want to think about like, do I use more gels? Cause this is like a shorter event or, um, am I going to, my sodium intake, maybe that's going to be different. Cause the weather is actually like quite different for the race location, et cetera. So, um, you always want to think about like small tweaks to the plan too. Um, so if you outline your plan, I suggest an Excel sheet outline the plan you dial it in, once you dial it in, then you can make like micro adjustments to it, like depending on what your goal races are, et cetera. Yeah, thank you, Kylie. I think that was super informative. Again, um, you know, this is stuff that we wanna practice as much as possible, both um, on your Saturday long run and on your Sunday mid long run too. Um, those are both long runs. They both need to be fueled. No excuses. If you're not doing that, I'm going to give you tough feedback if you're that athlete, um, because you need to hear it because if you let this stuff go, your risk for injury is higher and, and you're, you're not adapting. You're so not, it's like yeah. a, 
whatever the opposite of a a lose-lose, you're making less adaptations and upping your risk for injury, which is the opposite of generally what we want to spend our lives doing. So like, well, I've I, had, I mean, I've had, athletes, I've had athletes whole race be ruined because they didn't practice their nutrition. Yeah. Like uh, microcosm 100%. athletes too. The ones that you I coach, I've like again. tried to emphasize every, like uh-huh. every time I'll be like, what's your nutrition plan? What's your nutrition plan? And if you don't tell me, I will keep asking you because it's that important. Cause I've had athletes like totally DNF races because of their nutrition. So, yeah, and again, I think the hold on cause of DNFs is GI stuff. Right, and the and the last thing that I just the last note on this because we got to go um, is have your baselines, know what works for you in a variety of different conditions, and then tweak it. So you want to have other options too, just like Kylie mentioned. Um, if you're a mashed potatoes person and that's your go-to. You know, what are you going to do if it's a humid environment? What are you going to do if it's steeper? You know, like you need to have all of these other plans in place so you can make changes, especially the longer the race goes. Um, so just remember that. Try a variety of things. Your long runs are a really low stakes place to work on new stuff, develop those tolerances, maybe up your calories a little bit each progressive long run. Um, yeah. And just hopefully that means you get to race day and you're feeling confident with the plan. That's the ideal thing um, that we all really want to, uh, yeah, to get into here. So hopefully this was helpful. Um, Thank you so much, Kylie. I know I I learned something new every time um, I listen to you talk about this. Thanks, guys. Got to run. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Bye.